and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Hail Him, Nail Him. Boy, in just a handful of days, they went from praising Jesus to putting Him up on a cross. How in the world does that happen? We're going to look at that this morning and talk about the importance of knowing where you stand with Jesus. And are you one to praise Him, uh, or are you one that would persecute Him? And so let's look at that thought this morning. Lord Jesus, thank You for the, the, the Bible. It's the words of life. It's the bread of life. The written word that we can take and spiritually eat and be, have our hearts filled. And we can grow thereby. We can be nourished. And Lord, uh, I pray this morning is that as we open the Bible, that not only my heart would be prepared as the preacher, but Lord, each heart of each listener would be prepared to leave here challenged to have a better understanding of truth and then go forth and live it. Lord God, there may be someone under the sound of my voice this morning that's yet to make a decision to trust you for salvation. May today be the day they do so before it's eternally too late. Thank you, Lord, for being a God who deeply and sincerely loves us in spite of us. Lord, help our actions and attitude to reflect uh, those that live under that love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, each year around this time, I've put a sermon together. that has to do with this idea of Palm Sunday. And every time I do, I feel frustrated, frustrated. I enjoy putting sermons together. I do it for a living. I do it regularly. Uh, But every time I read this passage, I'm left just confused and perplexed. How could a city go from laying their clothes in the street and waving palm branches and crying Hosanna on Sunday to having him arrested the following Wednesday. How does it go like that? How how do you go from hailing him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on Sunday to watching him hang on a cross and die just a few short days later? And I feel myself getting upset at that thought every time I put this message together. Now, some would speculate that those who were there on Sunday were also there throwing stones at him as he walked down the Via Dolorosa, or the the path of pain. Um, I don't necessarily believe that was the case. While I think maybe some folks may have uh, detracted and dissented uh, from praising Jesus to persecuting Jesus, I think they were probably two very different groups of people. Some people, if they saw Jesus in the flesh and knew it was him, would hail him. Well, that would be quite an experience, wouldn't it? If uh, Jesus came down in in flesh, in the incarnate form, and was the preacher this morning, uh, boy, that would wake you up, wouldn't it? If Jesus himself, and you were convinced and knew it was him, if he was our preacher this morning, um, I think everyone would be on the edge of their seat. 
I think everyone would walk away saying, this didn't just make my day, my week, my month, my year. This made my life. I got to see Jesus Christ in the flesh. Some people, if we, some of us here today, I think all of us here today, if we saw Jesus, we would hail him. We would praise him. But unfortunately, there is a movement in our world today that hates Jesus. They're working to destroy the name of Jesus. And truth be told that if they were convinced that Jesus Christ was standing before them in the flesh, they would take him and they would nail him. They would kill him. They would have him done away with. Jesus Christ is a polarizing figure. Many of you here today deeply love Jesus. You would consider yourself a devout follower or a disciple. Um, If you uh, would have been there that day, that Palm Sunday when he came riding into town, you would have been right there with the crowd, laying down your clothes in the path. You would have been holding that palm branch and waving it as he walked by. You would have been crying, Hosanna uh, to the King, Hosanna to the Highest. You maybe even would have danced in the street. I know some of you Baptists think that you can't dance, amen? But maybe you would have just busted a move right there in the middle of the street. You would have got excited, amen? Seeing Jesus, uh, my, my dad used to tell the cheerleaders in the Christian school, he was principal of, he said, if you're going to cheer, make sure you keep it north and south, not east and west. And uh, dancing north and south is good. Dancing east and west, that's uh, questionable. Uh, but there they were, dancing in the street. And maybe you very well would have been there praising the name of Jesus, uh, crying out to him, boy, I think I would have been, but not everyone was so thrilled at this idea. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, but a sword, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and his daughter, against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall uh, uh, shall, shall be they of his own household. I have heard some say that those who were praising Jesus on Sunday, ah, Jesus, were the same ones throwing rocks and spitting at him as he walked by later that week. And look, there may have been a detractor or two who were just such a people-pleaser type person that they found their way from one crowd to the other. But mostly, I don't believe that was true. I think the people that were praising him on Sunday were probably in hiding later that week. I think that the people who praised him on Sunday were probably dismayed that he was dying and too afraid to stand up to the system. Our theme this year in 2021 is Stand for Jesus. And we have looked at that all calendar year long. We just finished our second series of the year, Standing um, with Courage, two weeks ago, looking at King David, how we stood up against Goliath, but then he fell down in front of Bathsheba. We looked at David in in great depth, and we looked at the idea of standing with courage. And I I will say this, that if these people on Sunday can be criticized at all, here would be the critique. Where were you when Jesus was being arrested? Many people take a stand for Jesus when it's convenient and easy, but then when push comes to shove and persecution's at its peak, these same people quickly go into hiding. And I'm not uh, sure when that persecution is coming to the American Christian, but this I believe. I believe it's coming. And boy, let's not be guilty of standing, uh, or rather of, of, of hiding our faith. Well, let's stand firm in what we believe. Let's join the crowd this morning. Let's, in our mind's eye, go there. 
And let's stand there and watch the crowd as they hail King Jesus. And then let's go to the foot of the cross this morning and see the crowd that nailed Jesus to the tree. Four thoughts I'd like to share with you this morning. Number one, notice the presentation of King Jesus. The presentation of King Jesus. Go back with me to Luke chapter 19 and look at verse number 29. We'll read down through verse number 34. The Bible says, And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that went uh, and they that were sent went their way, and found even as he saith unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. So you see the story here. Jesus uh, has just raised Lazarus from the dead. There's a big buzz about that. That's why he is in Bethany. We learned that um, uh, from the book of John. And uh, he sends his disciples on the heels of that to go and get this colt. Now, this colt does not belong to Jesus. This colt belongs to someone else. But the truth is, the Lord owns everything. And so he sends his disciples to get this colt, and they show up, and they're taking this colt without permission, and they're walking away. And the owners say, what are you doing taking our donkey? And the disciples are instructed by Jesus to say to these folks, the Lord hath need of him. And they say, okay, well... Then he's the Lord's. Take him and go. And you know what? There's a lesson in that. Whenever God gives us something, it's not ours. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And when the Lord wants something that belongs to us, we should part with it rather quickly, as these folks did. But what does this have to do with the presentation of King Jesus? Well, we'll get back to this story about the cult here in a minute. Let me just share with you, there was an expectation by the Jews, the Jewish leaders, that Jesus just didn't meet. And that caused them to reject Jesus. The way Jesus presented himself was quite different than what they expected. Uh, Notice they wanted a political king. They wanted Jesus to be a political king. But instead, what they got was a humble servant. A humble servant. You know, I, I try to think about a day, maybe, where another country comes into America and takes us over. I sure hope that doesn't happen. But just hypothetically imagine with me for a few minutes that another, uh, another country comes in and, boy, they take away our American flags. And uh, they do away with American exceptionalism. And they do away with patriotism. And it becomes a crime to sing the Star-Spangled Banner and songs like, I'm proud to be an American are no longer allowed to be played or sung. And American exceptionalism and patriotism goes underground. And there is this... Um, a subservient spirit that takes over America by another country and we become slaves, if you will, or subservient, if you will, to another country and we're forced maybe to try to follow another religion or we're forced to either maybe even quit going to church 
altogether. And uh, boy, that would be a sad thing. And I'll tell you what I would desire as an American-born boy. I would desire for there to be a political revolutionary to rise up and lead us back to a place where American exceptionalism and patriotism could be a thing again. Here you have the Israelites under Roman rule. They weren't allowed to be their own sovereign country. They claimed to being Jews by their heritage, but they were under Roman rule. And they had been under some sort of subservient rulership for uh, uh, for hundreds of years at this point. And uh, they're looking for that political savior to come in and lead them out of Roman rule and make Israel the dominant country in the world again like it had once been. And so they had gone into the books of the prophets and they had read about the Messiah coming and being that conquering king. Well, my friend, Jesus is going to come back one day and be the conquering king, but that's in his second coming. You see, the first time that Jesus came, he didn't come to be a political king. He came to be a humble servant. They wanted Jesus to come in and throw off the rule of Roman leadership, but Jesus came in to throw off the curse that sin brings all of us. They wanted the, the, the hardship of Roman uh, uh, rule to be thrown off. Jesus came to throw the, off the hardship of the consequences that the curse of sin brings us. They wanted a political king, someone who would stand above the crowd, someone who would uh, be a prominent figure, but instead Jesus came in to be a humble servant. And for that reason, the religious elites in Israel, those who led the country in worship, rejected Jesus. They wanted a political king, but instead he was a humble servant. They wanted someone famous. They wanted someone famous, but instead he would become infamous. He would become infamous. The anticipation by the religious elites is that just like Moses came out of the wilderness and called plagues down from heaven on Pharaoh, that Jesus would come in and call down plagues on the Roman leadership and lead them into their promised land to be, political promised land to be free again. And when it was clear that Jesus was not going to do that, boy, they rejected him. You know, they asked Jesus what should be given to Caesar. And they did not like Jesus' answer. You remember what he said? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. You know what he said, in essence? He said, pay your taxes and pay your tithe. Pay your taxes and pay your tithe. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, give the Lord His, and you know what? Forget Rome, right? Let's throw off Rome. Well, they didn't get the answer they wanted, They started a disinformation and misinformation campaign against Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 5 tells us how infamous Jesus was. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You see how Jesus is presented here. He's not presented as a political king. He's presented on the back of this cult as a humble servant. He's not presented as some famous person. He's presented as a populist, but an infamous man. They wanted a prince on a stallion. Instead, they got a peasant on a colt. 
A prince on a stallion. And you know what? One day Jesus is going to come back on a, on a stallion. He's going to come out of heaven on a stallion. He's going to fight a battle in the valley of Megiddo. He's going to destroy the armies of Satan on the earth. And He's going to set up and He's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years on this earth right here. But the first time Jesus came, He didn't come on a stallion. No, He came on the back of a donkey. And you know what that donkey represented? That donkey represented exactly who Jesus was. He was a nobody to the world who had been born in anonymity. I, I hear around Christmas time how that Jesus was laid in a manger. Doesn't that just sound so sweet? He was laid in a manger, away in a manger. We sing right, in the cold with her mittens on and hot chocolate in her hands, right, Christmas lights hanging around. Makes us feel so warm inside to think about Jesus being laid in a manger. There's nothing romantic about being laid in a manger. It it was literally a feeding trough for animals. How many moms want to lay your baby in a feeding trough for animals? I bet it was dirty. Some of you moms are like, you know what, I would do it, but I would get the, you know, the uh, disinfectant wipes out first. And I'd clean that thing out real good, and I'd put the softest blankets in there I could. There weren't, you know, some soft blankets. There was hay maybe he could stuff in there, maybe, maybe. You know, Jesus was born in total anonymity. There was no room in a hospital or a hotel. I I don't know what the temperature was like, but I imagine maybe it was cool. I'm sure a draft made its way through that, that barn Jesus was raised in Nazareth. I I remember that one person asked, does anything good come out of Nazareth? You You know what Nazareth was? It was the other side of the tracks. Jesus was born on that side of town. You know what I'm talking about? That side of town. And here you have Jesus, who's not, you know, famous by any stretch. And, and, and he, comes into, he comes into Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, and he's not riding some big, strong, majestic, kingly horse. He's sitting on the back of a donkey, a colt, that's never even been ridden before. They wanted a, a prince on a stallion. But here comes Jesus, a humble servant, on the back of a donkey. That colt that he rode on represented him well. Let me just make a quick point of application here. Many Christians are too concerned about their appearance. I think you should dress nice when you come to church. I think you should carry yourself well because you're an ambassador for heaven. But there is a danger and focusing on the outward appearance while neglecting the heart. God does not call us to be ostentatious in our presentation. God does not call us to come across as rich and snooty and snobbish. God calls Christians to live a simple life and be more concerned about the gospel than anything else. The presentation of King Jesus. Number two, notice the praise offered to King Jesus. The praise offered to King Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 19. Look down at verse number 35. The Bible says, And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments 
upon the colt. And they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even out the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Make no mistake about it. Jesus had a crowd of people who believed in him. Now, many of them probably didn't understand the ins and outs of why he was there and what was happening, but this they did know. Jesus was authentic. He was the real deal. Jesus was caring and kind. He interacted with everyone, no matter their social status or class or how much money they had to their name. Uh, he did not care who they were or what they had done. For many of them, he had healed them or He had healed a loved one of theirs. When he preached, he did so with great authority. When he preached, it made sense. They understood him. Jesus connected with the common man. And it was the common man that loved Jesus. You might be here this morning and think, Well, Pastor, I'm just a simple man, a simple woman. You know, I I don't um, know the finer things of life or care to know about the finer things of life. Is Jesus for me? The answer is yes. Jesus is for you. If you would have been alive when Jesus walked the earth, you would have loved Jesus. Because Jesus was a simple man, a common man. And the common man connected with him. He was simple, and they were simple. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 21, and verse 14. When Jesus came into town that Sunday morning, they celebrated because, uh, because Jesus was there, and they loved Jesus. Later on that morning, Matthew tells us that Jesus would go to the temple. He'd go to the courtyard of the temple, and he would cast out the money changers. Now, why were the money changers there? Well, we know this. They were going into the week of Passover. Many, many people from around the world were going to be showing up to buy sacrifices for the temple, and so the money changers would have been there in force, because you have people from all over the world showing up for Passover, and so all these pop-up stands of money changers are there to take money and exchange it into Jewish currency so that the animals could be bought. Are you getting the picture here? I don't know that there were always this many money changers there. I'm sure there were extra. And the problem wasn't that there were money changers or that there were animals for sale. It, the problem was where they set up. If you go back into the book of Kings, Second Kings, I believe it is, and you see uh, where Solomon dedicates the temple, the courtyard of the temple was supposed to be a place where the Gentiles could come and pray to the God of Israel. And so that was supposed to be a courtyard of prayer. Well, instead of it being a courtyard of prayer, it had become a place to make money. Jesus wasn't having it. So he took a whip, And he flipped the tables over, and he ran them out of that space. And he said, you've taken what's supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. A den of thieves. Now, some have used this passage to justify anger. I don't think Jesus was angry here. The Bible doesn't tell us Jesus was angry here. You say, well, why would you say that Jesus wasn't angry? Because I know when I see an angry person, the last thing I want to do is approach them. When I see an angry person, I usually back away. How many of you are with me? You give them space, right? 
Well, guess what happened right after Jesus ran the, the um, money changers out? The blind and the lame came to Jesus to be made whole. I get the sense that Jesus running them out of there was premeditated. It was cold-blooded. I don't mean, you know, cold-blooded in a bad way. just mean it was, it was methodical and planned. He ran them out, and right after that, the lame and the blind come to Jesus to be healed. Again, the common man, the simple man, the infirmed man make their way to Jesus. And look what happens at this point. So the Pharisees are angry at Jesus. We'll see that again more in a minute. But the common man again loves Jesus. Look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, look at verse 14. The Bible says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Just a couple verses earlier, he cleanses the temple by running the other crowd out. Right behind that, here come the blind and the lame, and Jesus is healing them. And when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were sore displeased. Are you picturing this? The blind and the lame come. Jesus heals them. There's a group of children standing there. They're, they were there praising Jesus as he came into town. They have followed Jesus. They've watched Jesus run the money changers out. They've watched Jesus heal the lame and the blind. And they're standing there in their Jesus' cheer section. And the Pharisees and scribes are angered that, the, that Jesus is not rebuking them. Look at verse 16. Um, uh, and said unto them, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? He quotes Psalm 8, verse 1. Can you feel the tension that's in Jerusalem? The powerless love Jesus, but the powerful hate Jesus. The powerless Love Jesus, but those with power hate Jesus. How could they hail Him on Sunday and nail Him to a cross on Wednesday or Thursday? How could that happen? How could that turn around? Because those who were powerless loved Him, but those that were powerful, boy, they were plotting to kill Him. We've taken the first two points of the sermon to talk about hailing Jesus. We've stood there and watched as the crowd hailed Him, and then the children hailed Him. Let's turn to our attention to the second part of the message and see how they killed Him. They nailed Him. Look at point number three, the persecution of King Jesus. Look with me back in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 39. Now, the persecution of Jesus began long before Luke 19. There was an animosity between Jesus and and the uh, Pharisees, it goes way back to the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And at this point, boy, they are, they are at a seething rage. They can't stand Jesus. And in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus is riding into town and Palm Sunday is happening, there are dissenters in the crowd who are taking their shots at Jesus even there. Look at 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now we'll look at the Pharisees in just a minute. Well, let me take a minute and talk about Jesus' answer here. Was, was Jesus being exaggeratory in his speech when he said the rocks would cry out? I, I don't think he was. Do you remember back in the Old Testament... When, when Balaam's donkey spoke to Balaam? How many of you remember that story? 
If you don't know that story, um, just real quick, Balaam was a man who was, um, uh, I believe, like a, a common day soothsayer. And he was called upon to curse Israel. And he inquired of God if he should go. And God told him no. And then God eventually sarcastically told him to go. And he went and uh, he kept getting his uh, donkey wouldn't behave. And finally the donkey squished his foot up against the wall. And Balaam started to beat his donkey and berate his donkey. And God opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey began to speak to Balaam. And Balaam was so angry that he talked back to the donkey and had a conversation with him. I could make a joke here about the donkey and what it's called and how dumb he was, but I will avoid that joke. Amen? He was a dumb donkey. Let's just say that. And I'm not talking about the donkey. I'm talking about Balaam. Do you remember the story where Jesus is standing there in the boat and the the waves are tossed to and fro? Waves are tossing the boat to and fro? And their donkey, and there Jesus comes to the edge of the boat and he says, Peace be still. And the waves cease and the rain stops. You know, all of nature was created to bring honor and glory to the Lord. You and, you and I were created to bring honor and glory to the Lord. If the people had not showed up, that morning, to praise the name of Jesus as He entered into Jerusalem, the very rocks would have cried out and given voice to how great Jesus is. There the people are praising Jesus and the Pharisees are mixed into the crowd. I wonder if they weren't up on their their perch, their religious perch, and they see a crowd organically gathering and they see Jesus coming in and they hear the raucous, they hear the parade that's happening. If some of them didn't leave their office in the temple and head down amongst to kind of just spectate and see, and I can hear them as they get toward the end of the parade, some Pharisee speaking up saying, Master, rebuke them for what they're saying. Why was it that they would say this? Because they hated Jesus. They hated Him. I've often asked myself, why did the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? Here's what I believe. Jesus was real and they weren't. Jesus called them out for not being real. The people were beginning to turn from following them as the religious leaders to following Jesus. And you know what people do? When they're losing power, they fight. They fight. These people were losing power. And Jesus went from being this little annoyance at the beginning of his ministry to a full-blown threat at the end of Jesus' ministry. And they decided it was time that they did away with the threat. So what did they do? Well, just a few nights later, they would have Judas betray Jesus. They would take Jesus first to Annas, a religious leader, and then to Caiaphas. And all night long, they would have at it with Jesus. Three and a half years of scorn that had been built up was able to come pouring out on Jesus that night. How many of you here have ever had someone intentionally spit in your face? Would you raise your hand if you've ever had that happen? When I was... um, I don't know, 9 or 10 years old. No, I was a little older than that. I was 13, 14 years old. My parents went out of town and they had a family watch us. And that family had a little boy named John. John was probably a 4-year-old. John was a spoiled little brat. 
I remember John, he, um, he dug deep in his throat, and he got a good one. And from about three feet away, he spit and hit me right between the eyes. I don't know that anything's ever made me more angry than that. That child almost was dead. I didn't touch him, but oh my goodness. His mother was standing right there. She took him and wore him out. Because if she hadn't, I probably would have. They didn't just spit in Jesus' face once. He had spit dripping off his face, one person after the other. They took turns coming up and spitting in his face. How humiliating. And they ripped his beard out of his face. I've never grown my facial hair out long enough to know what that would feel like. But I can't imagine just blotches of blood and missing hair. They would eventually turn him over to the Roman government. The crowd would turn into a raucous crowd. They would have him stripped naked. They would tie him to a post and beat him. Leave furrows in his back. They'd put a robe on his back and a crown on his head. You know, there's a lot of paintings of Jesus. Don't be deceived by the Renaissance era paintings of Jesus. First of all, Jesus was not some softy. Jesus was a man's man. He had worked as a carpenter prior to becoming, uh, starting his earthly ministry. They didn't have power tools back then. You read just the passion of Christ and see what he endured. That was no wimp. Jesus was muscular and in shape and quite capable wasn't just some little trickle of blood coming out of his, his hands and his feet. They beat him to a pulp where you could not even tell if he was a man or an animal. Those crowns were not some prickly little thing that are growing in your backyard. That, th- those thorns were long and thick and, and, and heat was probably used to shape them and form them into a crown. And they would push that down into his head between his skin and his skull. And blood would run down his face. They put a reed in his hand and a robe on his back. They would scoff him and mock him. And then they'd lead him down a, a path out of town where dissenters and haters would line the streets and yell epitaphs at him and throw things at him and belittle him and berate him. They would take railroad-sized nails and run them through his hands and his feet. Boy, those that hailed him went into hiding. Angela and I know somewhat of what it's like to be mistreated and have your friends... Get quiet and say nothing. You really begin to question your friendships when people aren't there for you in your darkest hour. And I have come to the conclusion that the people who kept their peace while we were being mistreated really do love us, but were too fearful to stand up and say something. I wonder how Jesus felt that day hanging on that cross. When the only ones there were a few women and John, and everyone else was hiding. I bet he felt less than loved. I'm sure he felt betrayed. Jesus would endure 
great pain for me and you. The persecution of our King. You see, they wanted Jesus to sit on a throne and bring political freedom. Jesus did, in some ways, sit on a throne. But that throne was two rugged pieces of wood nailed together. His throne was the cross. And He did it for me and you. I want to ask this question this morning. Did Jesus lose when He was nailed to that cross? Did did God's plan go awry? Did things get sideways on Jesus somehow? I mean... Who sets out on a path to be nailed to a cross? What sane person does that? You see, Jesus knew this was the plan all along. That brings us to our fourth point in the sermon this morning. The plan of King Jesus. This was all part of the plan. You see, the antagonistic relationship with those who were fake and phony was planned and intentional. Jesus did his part to offend the Pharisees. They were easily offended. I saw a quote this week that hurt people hurt people and bitter people are bitter toward people and offended people offend people. And you know what the Pharisees were? They were offended people. They were pretty easy to offend by Jesus just being the real deal. And here Jesus was who he said he was going to be and they hated him for it. Turn over to John. John chapter number 12. And look with me at verse number 23. Now, the account of the Palm Sunday is found in all four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the few stories found in all four gospel accounts. And in the John version, uh, we find that, that Jesus uh, uh, would, 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 would give us a speech as to why it was that he had to die. And as he usually did, he spoke in terms that were cloaked, that make more sense with hindsight, uh, uh, make more sense looking back on them. And so the backstory here is that after Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, somewhere along the way, there were some Greeks that were there for the Passover, and the Greeks wanted to meet Jesus. They were coming in from out of town, and they wanted to meet him. And so they went through the channels of his disciples to meet them, and a, a disciple made his way to Jesus and asked Jesus if these folks could meet him. And Jesus did what he so often did. He ignored their question and just went on uh, and gave a, uh, gave a speech about something totally uh, different. Look at John chapter 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, these are the disciples, Jesus answered them saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a, a, a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me where I am. There shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, look at this phrase here, for this cause came I unto this hour. For this cause. What cause? What cause for him to be that corn of wheat that falls in the ground and dies? You see, um, for a, uh, a corn stalk to exist, you have to take one piece of corn and plant that in the ground. And that one piece of corn shrivels up and it dies. In that death, 
roots go down. And in those roots going down, a corn stalk comes up. And when you get several corn stalks come up together, they can cross-pollinate. And then what ends up happening is thousands and tens of thousands of kernels of corn are born out of one corn, one piece of corn. Jesus was that piece of corn that went into the ground and died. It was always the plan of Jesus to die. Take your Bibles over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. God from the foundations of the earth chose to have Jesus killed, chose to have Jesus die so that the sin of mankind could be forgiven. Romans chapter 5, verse number 6. The Pharisees thought they were going to win by killing Jesus. The truth is that was always God's plan. And uh, you see, Jesus was born for the reason. He was born to die on Calvary. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength. What made us without strength? Sin made us without strength. All of us are sinners. For when ye, uh, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man sh- should even, uh, should some, uh, rather, uh, let me begin that again. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There are times where I will go through the story of the passion with someone and I will tell them about how Jesus died on the cross. I go into great detail explaining it. When I get done, I I look at the person that I'm talking to, whether it's in my office or maybe out on the street corner at someone's door. Maybe I'm sitting in someone's living room and I'm, I'm, I'm laying out what Jesus went through. And I look at the person and I see as though it's a detached, cold look on their face. And, and I look at that person and I'll say something along these lines. How much would you have to love someone to put your only son up to die in that person's place? Now stop and think about that for a minute. I have a son named Matthew. And I love Matthew very much. Words cannot describe how much I love my boy. I honestly can't think of a human being walking planet Earth right now, friend or foe, that I would put Matthew up to die for that person. Can't think of that person. I, no, I'd, I would die in his place, but I would not put him up to die for anyone, much less for some wicked, vile person. How much does God love you? So much that when he looked down and he saw you in your sin, he said, I love that person enough to where I'll let Jesus die in his place, in her place. Look back at Romans 5, verse 6. With that in mind, let's read those verses again. Look there. Listen intently if you don't have a Bible. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, toward me, toward you, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. God hates your sin, but He loves you. So much so that He put Jesus up on a cross to die in your place. So much so that Jesus suffered the consequences of your sin for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul told the church of Corinth, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And so that, begin, that brings us to you. To you. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of every American. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of your family. But to be more specific, Jesus died for you and your sins. So what are you going to do about that? Acts chapter 16 verse 31 tells us, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, Believe, believe. In John 4, Jesus told the woman at the well, Believe, believe. In John 5, Jesus told the impotent or infirmed man, Believe, believe. In John 6, Jesus told the skeptic Jews that were there that day, Believe, believe. Believe. In John 7, Jesus told the Pharisees, Believe. Believe. The message rings loud and true and clear. There's one way to heaven, and that's to believe that Jesus lived for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. Will you hail Him and believe in Him, or will you reject Him and nail Him to that cross? My friend, today the choice is yours. You say, well, I'm not ready to choose, then by default you're making a choice. You see, we're all born under the condemnation of sin, and the only way you can pass from condemnation to eternal life is to make a conscious choice to believe in Jesus. And the invitation today is simple. If you've not yet believed in Jesus, what are you waiting for? He lived, He died for you, He rose from the dead, and He's here to accept you if you'll accept Him. If you have accepted Him, then the challenge is simple. Are you focused on praising Him, or are you too focused on your own struggles to praise Him? Boy, He gave us His all, and He continues to bless us day after day. May we hail Him. May we hail Him. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven someday. Not because of who I am, not because of anything I've done, but because I have believed in Jesus. I, I called on Him through prayer. I asked Him to take me to heaven and give me that gift. If I were to die today, I know He is my way. He is my truth. He is my life. And I'm going to get to heaven through Him. If that's you and that's your testimony, would you want to shamelessly raise your hand right where you are? I've called on Jesus. I've believed in Him. I believe most every hand in the room was raised, but there may have been a hand or two that was not. Thank you. You can put them down. My friend, if you're here today or watching online and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, let me just say to you, don't let another moment go by until you do. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm not sure where I would go if I'd die. 
I'm just not sure that Jesus has forgiven my sins. I'm not sure what would happen to me. Now, my friend, I would never embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. So in the quietness of the moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, I just don't know where I'd go if I died, would you just slip your hand up and write back down, is there one? I just don't know. I'm just not sure. Is there one? I don't see a hand in the room, but we do have an online audience. And I would encourage you, those who are watching online, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, my friend, it's simple. The thief that died next to Jesus on the cross did not have his own righteousness. But he had faith. And he put his faith in Jesus that day and Jesus saved him. Jesus wants to do the same for you. Will you right where you are just humbly bow your head? Tell Jesus that you know that you're a sinner. Tell him that you trust in him. Thank Him for dying on the cross for you and ask Him to take you to heaven when you die. You cannot put works in your own faith, but you can put your own work, you can't put faith in your own works, rather. But you can put faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Call on Him right now, won't you? How many here today would say, Pastor, I've been so me-focused and focused on the problems around me that I've not really been praising Jesus like I should. And I need to do a better job of hailing my Savior, praising Him, Pastor, pray for me that I'll spend more time in praise to my Lord. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? Pray for me, Pastor. I need to do a better job of remembering Jesus in my day-to-day. Lord, help us today as we consider the message. My prayer is, Lord, that everyone here truly is saved. But if there's one that's not, help them to turn to you today. Lord, help us all to be better about praising you. Thank you, Lord, for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name.